Welcome to this message from Journey Church. Our hope is that you'd encounter God and His purpose for your journey. Be sure to visit us online at www.journeykc.com. Amen. Before we get into this today, I just want to let you guys know about something that we're going to be doing coming up in November. Uh, We're going to break into our Ephesians series, and we're going to have a small little mini-series called Stand in the Gap. And along with that, we're going to be launching our building fund. And uh, we don't, here, here's the thing, we, we've been hesitant about this for a while because we've been looking and looking and, and talking and, and having all these conversations with different people about what's next. As you can tell, there's no room here, and we have more services coming that will fill up. And so we have diligently looked and pursued and tried to come up with every option that we can, and we don't have have the exact plan going forward as we've exhausted several things. But what we're going to do is we're going to move forward by faith. And we're going to receive a seed offering to launch our building campaign, whatever that is. If that means we're knocking down a wall, if that means we're buying property, if that means we find a building, whatever that is, we're just going to start moving forward in faith. So I want to encourage you guys to go ahead and start to set aside some things. Some of you guys have been waiting Maybe for a moment like this, some of you guys are sitting on a hundred grand or something like that, and you're just saying, man, what do I do with that? (laughs) This is your moment. This is... But seriously, some of you do have... You know, the Bible talks about a gift of giving. We all are to give. But some of you guys actually do have a spiritual, supernatural gift of giving. This would be a great time to exercise that as well coming up in November. So I encourage you to be thinking about that. We're already starting to set aside some of, the, uh, some of our uh, money for that to put towards that as a seed to what God is going to do. So uh, as we get into the book of Ephesians today, we went through Ephesians chapter 1 last week and we went through the whole thing. If you missed it, please go back and catch up. Uh, it's important to lay the groundwork for all of the series together. So if you missed it, go ahead and do that. I want to start off this morning by putting up a picture of something you might see here in Missouri. Uh, go ahead and put it. There we go. How many of you guys have seen those this fall? Anybody? I, I was on Facebook this week and people, hello. All right. How you doing, buddy? Uh, <laughs> Just, they're just excited. They're just running around a building. You know, we got some Pentecostal roots, so um, just roll with that. Uh, so I was on Facebook this week, and I saw some, uh, some people putting up pictures, and they're just like, you, you have two responses to pictures like this. How many of you guys, when you see this, you're just like, oh, man, that makes me feel like fall. Oh, yeah, that's just, oh, yeah. Then there's the other response, which is my response, and I'm getting hungry. That's what I'm seeing. When I see that, how many of you guys get hungry when you see a picture like this? Yes, get hungry. Uh, That's just the two different types types of people in this world, and I don't know which side you fall on that, but I fall on the latter. My brother, Jake, is actually elk hunting this week in New Mexico, I believe, and so I'm just a little bit jealous, to be honest with you. Uh, I'd like to be there. As a kid, he went hunting all the time, and he went hunting. I didn't go hunting. I wasn't into it. I wasn't into any of that, and he would go hunting with my grandfather. Well, my grandfather has since passed away, and now I've started to get into hunting the last few years, and and taken up a real interest with that. And, and just thinking back to those days that I never had a chance to go hunting with my grandpa. I never had a chance to. I could have, but I just wasn't into it then. I never had a chance. 
And so I'm, I'm thinking about buying a, a rifle and, and getting my own rifle and getting set up for my, myself to be able to go out and hunt. And there was just this opportunity where I could actually purchase a rifle that my grandfather used. And so I did that this week. It was just something really special about being able to hold that rifle, knowing that he was the very last one to shoot around through that rifle. And there's just some connecting point. Have you guys know that there's some, something special about some things like that? So this year, as I'm sitting in a deer stand or something waiting uh, to eat that, I will be holding the rifle that my grandfather used, and I will shoot one of those with it, just so you know. Just a little prophecy for you guys there. <laughs> but one of the pains of, of losing people in your life is that you, you feel like that there are missed opportunities like that. You know, there's, there's like a gap there where I had an opportunity that I missed and I wish that I could just go out this fall with him and go hunting with him this fall. And, and I, I'm missing out on that part of life happening. And we all feel different pains like that. And I don't mean to get too sentimental this morning with that, but I do want to say this, that, that there's something about missing out on things because people have passed away. You know, there's something about this spiritually that we can actually miss out, that there are people right now who are missing out on life. There are people who, in the same way spiritually, they aren't, ex they aren't experiencing opportunities that God has for them. They aren't experiencing moments like that. Why? Because the Bible says that they are spiritually dead. And that's where we start off in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. How sad is it, and this is a reality, that people are actually alive today, but not really experiencing life. And I don't just mean like our dreams and hopes and all that. That's, that's all fine. I'm talking about the life of God. I mean, the life, they are spiritually dead and not experiencing the life of God. Do you realize that spiritual death is much more in, an important issue than physical death? And yet we seem to, to elevate physical death as if it were the most important issue, but spiritual death is a, a greater issue. And spiritual death or spiritual deadness is really man without God. You are either journeying towards God in life right now, or you are on your own path away, just like the scripture talks. You are going towards darkness, or, or you are going away from darkness. And, and some people are experiencing that right now. Many people are spiritually dead. The question I have for us today as believers, church, is does it matter to us? <laughs> Do we care that some people are spiritually dead? Worshiping the wrong things, worshiping at the wrong temples, worshiping the wrong idols, worshiping the wrong gods. Now, Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was a place where if you wanted to worship a random god, you sure could. The United States of America is a place, if you want to worship a random god, small g, you can. You can, there are plenty of temples you can worship at. There are plenty of gods that you can serve. The God of money, the God of lust, the God of sports, the God of whatever. You can worship at that God or that temple. If we go to, if he, if we go to um, Acts chapter 19, we can see Paul come 
to Ephesus and he laid his hands on some people and they got filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues. That's what happened in Acts 19. They were at Ephesus. And some things going on at Ephesus, again, there were a lot of spirituality going on. They had a temple uh, to Artemis or the uh, goddess Diana there. It was a great, big, huge thing. Here's a, a rendering of it. It doesn't exist anymore except for, I think, one column. It had 127 columns. It was 60 feet high. It was uh, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was a magnificent structure, and they would worship this false god, at this temple of Diana. And so in Acts 19, as we see the story play out, there's a guy named Demetrius who happened to live there. Now, Demetrius, one of the things that would happen at this temple is they would worship by offering little shrines or little trinkets to this God. And Demetrius was a guy who he actually made these things out of silver. And it was like a little, you know, like a little souvenir type thing. I was, re, I was years ago, I was in Seattle, and I, I bought this little thing. This is the Space Needle. Okay, it's not the actual Space Needle, but it is a replica of the Space Needle. And I just see this, and I, I just think, that's probably something similar to what he was making. He was making some little trinkets out of silver, and they could either take them home, or they would go to this temple, and they would begin to worship. Now, when Paul came in with the good news of the gospel, which is that there is one true God, all of a sudden, trinket sales went down. All of a sudden, Mr. Demetrius and his buddies were losing all their business. And what had become this great boon for them has now started to be endangered by the message of the gospel. Can I just tell you that there, if we were truly to live out the gospel, there would be some industries in danger. And there would be some people upset about that. The question is, are we living in such a way culturally as in our culture to cause disruption like Paul did in Ephesus. Well, we need to think about that. Uh, so they were starting to lose money. And so Demetrius started to rally up all the people of the city. And he said, guys, we're going to lose all of our money. We're going to lose all of our business. Let's go ahead and let's start a riot. And he began to start a riot. He began to work everybody up against Paul and against his associates. And they all ran into this big theater, which in Ephesus, there was this magnificent theater. It seat, seated uh, over 24,000 people in this theater. And this is it right here. This was an amazing Thing And they rushed into this theater, thousands upon thousands of people rushed in there and they drugged some of Paul's associates in there and they all began to shout and to, to uh, chant, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they began to just chant it over and over again. I mean, you can almost, it's like a football game going on. I mean, they're in there just chanting and chanting and just saying, great is the God. And some of the people start looking at one another saying, why are we even here? We don't even know why we're here. We're just here because a bunch of people are here. And and they're all chanting and you could see some of them probably painted their chest blue or something like that. And they're just, you know, yes. And they drug him in there and they were wanting to kill Paul. And finally somebody says, listen, we're going to be charged with the riot. Rome's going to come in here. They're going to shut us all down and we don't want that. So let's disperse. And so, so they did and they went away and that was their temple. That was their God. Sometimes when we hear a story like that, we think, well, these guys are crazy. Worshiping at the temple of Artemis and Diana and just getting all worked up over all of that. I mean, worshiping at that temple. But again, how many of you guys know we, we have our temples, don't we? We have our gods that we worship at. In the United States of America, which is where 
We are, and we're influenced by, and you can't escape that. We have our culture. We have our gods. We have our temples. We have our things that we serve. We have the things that we follow after. We have the things that we get worked up over. And it doesn't happen in the theater. It happens on Facebook. It happens in wherever else at the family dinner. It happens in conversations. Boy, I'm I'm preaching truth, right? I'm just barely into this thing, right? I'm going, right? And, and we can get worked up worshiping at the wrong temples, can't we? The temple of news cycle, the temple of politics, the temple of, of money, the temple of materialism, the temple of business practice, the temple of whatever. It reminds me of the story of this guy who... Uh, was, he had this important paper that was really due. It was, it was going to make or break his grade. And so he did all this research. He did all this stuff. He worked really, really hard on this paper. Finally turns it all in, and he gets it back from his teacher. The teacher, uh, the professor, writes in big old red ink and says, says um, you know, great research, great footnotes, great illustrations, grade F. Grade F, great, great, great illustration, grade F. And then at the very bottom, it said, wrong assignment. Now, what if we get to the end of our life? We stand before God, and God says, great family, great career. Great retirement, wrong assignment. Do you realize that that's entirely possible? You realize that many people, quite possibly in this room, will stand, I hate to say it, will stand before God and hear that. Wrong assignment. And it'd be a tragedy if, if God said that to us and we found that we had been worshiping at the wrong temple all along. This is what the city of Ephesus was going through. Now, if we are followers of Christ and we have access to the life of God, why would we ever want to live as if we had not, as if we didn't have access to that? The, the good news is this, guys. We don't have to live as if we don't have access. We have access. We can follow, we can follow God with all of our heart. You know, we, and here's the thing. We all know that we should do. How many of you guys would agree that we all know we should do what the Bible says? How many of you guys, can I just get on the same page there? We should do what the Bible says. But some of us struggle in this next area that we should also see what God sees. We all agree we should do what God says, but few of us really have the same conviction that we should also see what God sees. And so what I want to do today is I want to chip away at our wrong identities because our wrong identities actually keep us serving at the wrong temples and serving the wrong gods and keep us going in the wrong direction. Instead of going to life, we're going to death. And so I want to chip away at wrong identities because there, we need to have a conviction in us that we need to not just do what the Bible says, but we need to see what God sees about us. And that's what this series is all about, unearthing true identity. And so I want to deal with three wrong identities today. There are many more. I'm just going to hit three of them. And the first wrong identity is this, the zombie. 
Have you guys any watch those? You don't have to raise your hand. You watch a zombie movie or something like that, or you know the the Walking Dead. I don't even know what that stuff is, but it's people who are like half dead, half alive, or whatever it is, and like their flesh is rotting and stinking and stuff. Uh, welcome to Family Sunday, children. Um, I was preparing this week, and I thought, man, dang it, I can't do half the stuff I wanted to do in this service because it's Family Sunday. The zombie. They, these, this is like half dead. It's like where I've got stinking, rotten flesh, but I'm still alive. And there are believers who are walking around with a zombie identity. I'm just carrying around a stinking, rotten flesh, but I'm alive. Notice it's a wrong identity. All right, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. So we talk about being dead in trespasses and sin. I want you to know, it says, you were dead. And then the first uh, word of verse 4 is, but. Now, buts are important. You know, I don't know, can't believe I just said that, but buts are important when it comes to Scripture. Again, welcome to Family Sunday. <laughs> but God is one of the most important phrases in all of Scripture. But God. Whenever you have a problem and then you have but God, everything changes. Let me say that again, because in the context of our identity, that's the most important, okay? Whenever you have a horrible situation, then you have a but God, everything changes. So, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we, even when we were, were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that's where we are. That's not where we're going to be. That's where we are. We are seated with him, positionally. We were dead. Now we're seated with him. God's love leads to mercy, and he's rich in it, and he has an incredibly tre incredible treasure of it. He's got an inexhaustible resource of mercy and grace. How many of you guys are thankful for that? He does. He does. And Christ has been raised from the dead. And what we see a picture here in Ephesians chapter 2 is that we too, if we believe in him, have been raised from the dead. It doesn't mean I'm partially raised. It means I'm raised. Okay? How many of you guys have ever heard this phrase before? One man's trash is another man's treasure. Anybody? You guys remember those shows? I don't even know if they're still on, but the shows like um, American Pickers or something. Have you guys remember that? Is that still on? I don't even know. I was addicted to that for a while. I would just watch it, and what these guys do is they go in and they drive around randomly, and I know it's all staged, but it's still, I pretend like it's not. They drive around randomly. <gasps> Look at that place over there. They've got a lot of junk. We can go in there, and they go and they pour through the people's stuff, and they, they offer them money for it, and then they take it out, and they refurbish it, or they find these unbelievable treasures, or, you know, shows like Palm stars where they come in and have all these things and Ameri you know, antiques road show. Uh, how many of you guys do that just in your own little way, like on the Liberty Swap Shop? You're like, I'm, I'm those guys. I'm going to find the treasure. I'm going to go garage sale because one man's trash is another man's treasure. And that's what we do. How many of you guys are just admit that you are a closet dumpster diver? And if you saw a good dumpster, you'd dive in it. All right. How many of you guys have actually jumped in a dumpster looking for something? Just raise your hand. Own it. We want to see who I'm talking to today. All right, some of you guys, how many of you guys are lying right now? You are in church. There's nothing to be ashamed of. God is rich in mercy. He's rich. He's got plenty for you. I, I see every single day almost, I'll look over this dumpster over here behind the thrift store, and there's somebody crawling around in it. I don't know what they're finding over there, but it's got to be good. So they keep coming back. 
Closet dumpster diver, there was a guy, there was a story years ago about a guy out of Rhode Island who was, dig, was dumpster diving like in a gas station or something looking for lottery tickets. He actually found one and it turned out to be worth a million dollars. Later he got sued, but he still got to keep most of the money. Uh, because we, we see the, the, this dumpster diving phenomenon, this one man's trash is another man's treasure. Another guy found one in his own trash worth $650,000. He forgot that he had it, heard somebody won, and went back, and wow. Do you realize, this is going to sound weird, but God is kind of a dumpster diver. It says even when we were dead, he, he went and he looked through some trash, some dead stuff, and God found an unlikely treasure in an unlikely place in you and I. And he took us, being dead, and he raised us up. And he said, you know what? I can refurbish this. I can find some good out of this. I can make this into something brand new. The point is this. You're not the walking dead. Some of you guys, you see yourself as old, stinking, rotten flesh, barely made alive. You are not the walking dead. You were dead. You have been saved, and you are seated. You are seated. I'm not still half dead. I'm not half dead. God did not pay half the price for me. He, pray, he paid it in full. I'm not a zombie walking around half dead. I have been made a new creation. Somebody needs to get that in their spirit this morning. You are a brand new creation. You are not carrying around the old stinking rotten flesh leftovers from your old life. You were dead. There is something brand new on the inside. People who have been raised out of darkness and placed with brand new life ought to be, uh, the, the, they are the people from which God is building his church from. He's building his church from uh, materials that were raised out of darkness, but they're not dark anymore. He's taking people like Galen and Sherry, who they, they were living in darkness, but God just, you know what? He's raised them up. They're seated in high places right now. They hold their head up high. They said, you know what? I was dead. I'm no longer dead. I'm walking in the life of Christ. Right? Jo Joseph was a mess, right? I mean, Joseph, he grew up in religion, all sorts of stuff, and, and he, but he's sitting in a high place right now, right? I mean, we could just go around the room, right? And just hear of all the stories. Because I'm not a zombie. I'm not the walking dead. I'm alive in Christ. All right. Wrong identity number two. Because I don't have time to sit there and hang out on that. My clock is messed up. So I don't know how long I've got to go today. So bear with me. Uh, wrong identity number two. The rule follower. How many of you guys just kind of self-identify that in many areas of your life, you are a rule follower? And if there's a rule to be followed, you will follow the rule, whatever that is. Now, that's fine in some ways in life, but sometimes it screws us up in our spiritual walk. Let's figure out how in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And here's where the important crux of the matter is, that this is not of your own doing, guys. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. 
There is nothing you can do to get grace. Nothing. That's not a scary thing. That's a great thing. There is nothing you can do to get grace from God. There's nothing you can do. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Many people sadly still think that God doesn't accept a sinner until he ceased to be one. See, just because you've been raised, it doesn't mean you won't ever sin. But many times we're trying really, really hard to not be one in an effort to obtain grace. That's not how it works. That's backwards. And and here's what happens. Morality or moral living becomes a substitute for real relationship with God. Some of you right now are being really good and getting nowhere. You're being really good and you're going, you're sliding away from God. You're being really good and your relationship with God is not getting better, it's getting worse. It's not getting more full of life, it's getting more dead and dry because you're being really good and it's not the point. It's not the point. Uh, I heard this quote a long time ago, but it's so powerful. It is easier at times for men to set up a code of rules and submit to them than to undergo a rebirth by way of repentance and enter a relationship with God. That was so good, I'm going to say it again. It's easier at times for men to set up a code of rules and submit to them, which it's a lot easier for us to just know what the rules are and do those things, and that somehow gives me, it's an exchange, than, than to go by a rebirth by repentance, right? And relationship with God, where we actually walk in relationship. So last night, I was up for like a couple hours in the middle of the night, and I was just thinking about this. And I just had this weird thought. And I think it's because I'm thinking about shooting deer. (laughs) And it all came converging. Oh, thank you. There's the deer picture again. But I started to think about rules and how we many times make following God about the rules. And the rules are simply, all the rules are, are an attempt to tame us. The rules are like fences around a deer. And we try to continue to close them in, close them in, because we can't get too crazy. We can't get too wondering. We can't have too much freedom. And the rules are like the fences that pretty soon they get all the way until they're just right around the deer. And the good news is that deer can't get into any trouble. That deer can't can't do anything wrong. The deer is going to stand there in the fence of the rules and will eventually be tamed because there's nothing else to do with its life. And this is where I see many Christians. They've got their rules right up there. They have no freedom because Satan's attempt is to tame you. You can't tame the Holy Spirit and the life of God and freedom, can you? And and that's that's the attempt of the rules is to tame you. And here's the end result. You become an easy target for the enemy. I mean, if I got a deer sitting right in there, that's no sport at all. This is what the rules will do to you. Or you have no adventures in God. Some of you guys have lived all of your Christian life with no adventures in God. You have no stories, but you've been really good. And you've been really tame 
and you've not gotten into any trouble. What a horrible thing. That is not how God intended us to live. He intended us to be on mission with him. And on mission requires freedom. On mission requires us to have a few adventures. On mission requires us to be led by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I can just keep going. I'm not even in my notes anymore. I don't know. I love the way that Danny Silk put this. I heard this this week because I don't have a clock anymore. Uh, I, don't, I love the way Danny Silk put this. He said it this way. He said, when love is low, rules are high. When rules are low, love is high. If I'm in a relationship with my spouse and there's no love, we have to have a lot of rules, don't we? But if there's an abundance of love, we don't sit and talk about rules in our marriage. We, talk, we just love. See, some of you guys need to get that. And he used the example of this. How many of you guys know that with the IRS, there's no love, is there? <laughs> what do we have with the IRS? A whole lot of rules. When I'm on, you know, if you get on the phone with the IRS, there's no love there. But if I follow the rules, I'm okay, right? Some of you guys have an IRS relationship with God. You follow the rules, you're okay. If you don't follow the rules, what happens? You get punished. Some of us, that's our view of God. But if you have high love... For God, a real relationship with God. It's not about the rules anymore. I don't have to be a rule follower anymore. That's a wrong identity with God. Punishment satisfies relationship with the rules. But we're not supposed to have a relationship with the rules, are we? We're supposed to have a relationship with God. That's old covenant thinking. A Baylor University uh, research survey just recently said that 73% of all people who believe in God, believe in God, believe him to be either authoritative, critical, distant, or punitive. And that's the view that we have of God. But that's not the view of Scripture. Because the view of Scripture is this, that there is no place for punishment in love. Because fear has to do with punishment, but love casts out all fear. And some of us have this rule-keeping identity with God, this IRS relationship with God, that as long as I keep the rules, I'm going to be okay. And that is not what it's all about. That turns it into all about us being good and having good works. Listen, if it was all about us based on our own works, then what would happen? We would be our own savior. If, it's, if grace is dependent upon my works and my ability to work, then what am I doing? I'm saving myself. So if I can save myself, I have a reason to boast. But it's about grace so that no one has a reason to boast, that we can only boast in the Lord. We can only say it's all about him, it's all about grace. You see, God's PR campaign ought to be people who he's lavished grace upon, not people who are really good at being good. That's not God's PR campaign. That's not the church's PR campaign. The church's PR campaign ought to be, man, look at those people who God just lavished his grace upon. 
So many of us have a rule-keeping identity. All right, let's move on. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, the last scripture we're going to look at today. It says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I say it this way, we are God's work created for good works. We're God's work created for good works. See, there's two different ways, wrong ways, we can think about grace, all right? Two different wrong ways. Wrong way, number one, to think about grace is this. Being good brings grace. That's what we just looked at, rule keeping. And people think about grace that way. Oh, if I could just be good enough, I could experience God's grace. That's a wrong way to think about grace. There's a second wrong way to think about grace, and that's this. Grace means I don't have to be good. Grace means I shouldn't do anything. And that's not necessarily a good way to look at it either. And that brings us to wrong identity number three, which is this, the living corpse. You're not the walking dead. You're a living corpse. Uh, I probably need to explain this. If we were to walk into a morgue and some of the people were dead and some of the people were lying down sleeping, it would take us a minute to figure out which. What would we do? We would go up and we would walk up to them and try to look for signs of life. Are they breathing? Is there any kind of life in them? Sadly, this is the picture of what a lot of believers are doing. They're not dead. They've been made alive. But they go and just lay down among the dead and look pretty close to it. They could at any moment get up and walk out and experience the richness of life, but they're a living corpse. They're not the walking dead. They're a living corpse. You say, well, I've got grace. I don't really need to do much after that. I've got saved. I don't really need to do anything after that. Well, that's a wrong way. That's a wrong identity. It's a wrong identity. And so many of you guys are stuck at the starting point instead of moving on. You're just laying down. You've been made alive. It's like you had a resurrection out of the morgue, but you never sat up. You were dead. You were made alive, and you just laid there. And your plan is to lay there until Jesus comes. I'm just going to lay here spiritually. I'm never going to grow. I'm never going to do anything. I'm never going to move beyond this. I'm never going to step into God's purpose for my life. I'm never going to go beyond this. And that's where it comes down to there's different motivations for grace. There's different motivations. One is a motivation that we have to get something, to get a gift. And another motivation is what happens after we've received a gift. And so let me just demonstrate a couple of those uh, those of you guys who have kids, how many of you guys have had kids and they want something from you? What do they do? Well, they ask, and if you're kind of putting them off, what do they start to do next? I've had this happen before. Ah, oh, we want to butter dad up, so we're going to bring him a drink. We're going to sweet talk him. We're going to, you know, you want a back rub, you know, whatever it is. How many of you guys have had kids that would just, they want something from you, and so they start to do some things to try to get something from you? Or you hear about these people who get a lottery ticket and all of a sudden they're now rich and all of a sudden they have all these friends who came out of nowhere. Oh, we've been buddies for a long time. Why? They're trying to get a piece of that money. They're trying to get something. So they'll come and they'll be nice and they'll talk about how great friends they are and all of that. That's motivation to, to get something from somebody. How many of you guys went to work this past week? Anybody in some way, shape, or form? You did some form of work to produce something. You went and you did something. For what? For hopes in getting something in return, some sort of paycheck, some sort of money. There was an exchange involved, right? Most of us wouldn't do what we do week to week unless we had that exchange happen. 
And that's the motivation of what many of us do with God is the motivation to get something. Now, the, the second type of motivation or uh, experience of grace, I could call it, is when we do something because we've received something. So, like with my kids, if I go and I, and I go out and get a big old tub of ice cream, which is a holy event around my house. I mean, it's just... We, we go out and we get like an ice, you know, big old tub of ice cream and Sundays and stuff like that. And uh, let's just stay on the deer theme here. Uh, when I shot a deer last year and we had these deer steaks and there was only so many of them. And they were so good that I actually was a good dad and I shared them with my kids. They, they did something. They were, they were like, oh, this is so good. And they said they just began to spontaneously, anytime we do something special like that, if we take a special trip, if we get a special meal, it's spontaneously, thank you, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. And they'll just randomly, how many of you parents have ever experienced that before? Anybody? You need to get some new kids then. Okay. Okay. I have. I have. That's the difference. It's like a response to receiving. When we talk about doing good works, there's nothing wrong with doing good. We've got to get it on the the right side of grace, though. We try to put good works pre-grace, but good works are post-grace. Good works are not to get grace. Good works are a result of receiving grace. The only way we do good works or the reason we do that is because we've received You are under no obligation to do any type of good work pre-grace. You are under no obligation. You you don't have, there's nothing you can do to earn grace. How many ways can I say this today? And yet it's still lodged in our thinking. There's nothing you can, you are not half dead. You don't have to be a rule keeper. You don't have to be a living corpse because once you receive grace, you are going to start to do works, but it's only out of a motivation because you've received something and it's a reaction to grace. It's just a reaction. That's all it is. It's easy. It's a reaction. You're not under pressure. It's just a response. Now, the question is, is that your experience? Or do you slip back into these wrong identities? We need to break that off today. Here's the right identity. You have been handcrafted. You are the handcrafted work of God. When it says workmanship, it means like God just handcrafted you and made you something amazing. Seated in heavenly places. You sit at the table as a son or a daughter of the king. Nothing else. Any other identity is a false, wrong, unbiblical identity. Whenever the son comes running home, he tried to be a servant. The father wouldn't let him. If you want to be home, you can't be anything else but a son or a daughter. That's it. That's your option. You know, but I want to work for it. I want to. Nope, sorry. You can't. You get a robe and a ring and a fatted calf. That's all you get. You you, you don't get anything else. You don't get to be anything else here. This is all there is. How many of you guys find that as good news? That's all there is. That's all I can be. I can't be anything else. I don't get to work for it. I I don't get to. I can't. There's nothing I can do. We are what God's working on. We are God's work of art. 
We are God's masterpiece. We are what God's painting. That's what we are. And if God's making it, how many of you guys know that's good? There's nothing. God can't make anything bad. He can't. Reminds me of another story of this lady walking around in Manhattan in 2003, I believe it was. Her name was Elizabeth. She's walking by a pile of trash. Something catches her eye. It's a very colorful thing, catches her eye, and it happens to be an old painting. And so she just looks at it. She's like, well, I need some, something for my house. And so it's just sitting here in the trash. They're going to throw it away. Trash truck's going to come by any second. So she pulled it up, put it in her house. It looked like it was actual painting. And so she started to try to research it and couldn't find anything about it and researched for a couple years. Couldn't find anything out about it and uh, kept researching and nothing. Till finally 2007, she finally stumbled upon a conversation with some people and, and some research and discovered that this was an actual painting, real lost painting from a famous Mexican artist that had just been lost. Actually, it turns out it was stolen many, many years before that. And she had possession of it. And so she was a little bit nervous about that at that point. She ended up, long story short, she ends up. Uh, working it out, and uh, it went to auction and sold for a million dollars. Now, I'm looking at that, and I'm like, I'm struggling to find the art in that thing. <laughs> Maybe I'm just from Missouri. I don't know. I just, I don't know. I, I'm struggling. I'm looking. I can't. I, I, is there more? You know, it's like, is it one of those pictures that if you stare at it long enough, it turns into something else? I mean, because I'm really hoping it, it's that. Uh, but I have trouble seeing the art in that. You realize there may be some other people in your life that look at your life and they struggle to see the art in it. You're like, I, I don't know if I see this. You may look at your own life and the cause for your wrong identity is that you are struggling to see the art in it. And I go back. It's not just enough to do what God says. We have to see what God sees. And until we're willing to let go of our religion and see ourselves the way God sees us, we will never move into our destiny. We will always be stuck in a cycle of ultimately it leads to depression. It ultimately leads to bad places. Have we been stuck in defeat, wrong thinking, Here's what I want to do. I just want to take just a moment as we close just to reject it, be a little bit more free from that. I'll share just a story in a close as the band comes back up. You guys may have heard this before, but I, just, I heard this years ago, and it just sticks with me. I just can't, can't get rid of it. Uh, you know, if you go to a circus, because they don't even have these anymore, <laughs> a circus, you got a big old like multi-ton elephant there, and he's just got a little rope, and there's a, a rope, and he's just got a little stake in the ground, and that's it. You're like, how is this animal so trained? It's this massive animal. It's just got a little rope and a little stake there. This could just go off and just trample and go on a killing spree and kill everybody here, this elephant. But he's just held here by this little rope and this little stake. And if you do a little bit of digging you'll find out that somebody somewhere, when that elephant was just a baby elephant, drove a, drove a stake deep, a really big stake, deep, deep into the ground so it wouldn't come back up. And put a heavy, heavy chain locked up to it, wrapped it, a heavy chain around this baby elephant so that the elephant, whenever it tried to pull away, there's no way that baby elephant could pull that heavy chain, could break it, couldn't break it, couldn't pull the stake out. There's no possible way. It would try, 
and get tired and fail. It would try and get tired and fail. And it kept trying and trying until one day it realized, I can't break free from this. And it just quit trying. Well, elephants have a great memory. So as it grows up, they didn't have to use the big old chain and they didn't have to use the big stake anymore. They could just use a little rope tied to a little stake so that any time the elephant felt a little tug, it thought, I can't do it. I'm not big enough. I'm not strong enough. I can't pull free. Now, what about us? Maybe 20, 30 years ago, you had a big old heavy chain around your neck, big old deep stake, and you tried and tried and tried. You couldn't break free for whatever reason. I want you to see yourself with, in the spirit, all you have is a little rope with a little stake. And empowered with God, you can right now at any moment just pull that stake right out of the ground. Your wrong identity, your wrong thinking, you can just pull it right out of the ground. You can have revelation right now of who you are. You're not a sinner barely saved by grace. You're a saint seated in heavenly places. I want you to just to see yourself. You might even have to close your eyes to see yourself just pulling free of that stake. Pulling free of that wrong identity. Set free in Jesus. Living a life that celebrates how God made you to be. He made you a brand new creation. You're not half dead. He didn't pay half the price. You've been made alive. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? Maybe you're here. And if you were to die tonight and you had to turn in your assignment to God, God might say to you, and you, you know it, you know that God might say, you know what, great life, you know, great motivation. You, you tried, you good, did good here, you, not so well there, but, but good here and good there. Grade F, wrong assignment. And you know that you've not been living for the right assignment. You've not been living following after Jesus Christ. You've not surrendered your heart to him. And this morning, I just, I want to present to you this new way of life that you don't have to be dead in sin anymore. You can be made alive in Christ because he died on the cross and he took your sins. He paid the price. You don't have to do anything to earn forgiveness. You can't. He rose from the dead and he gives you life to the full, full of life, abundant life. And if you're here this morning, you say, I, you know what, if I were to die tonight, I'd probably turn it, have to turn in the wrong assignment. And I, I got to fix that right now. I need to, by faith, I just need to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And when you do that this morning, you will receive grace that you cannot work for. It's not like you're getting a paycheck. If I could just be good enough, I could get God's grace. Nope. You simply receive it as a gift. And once you receive it this morning, from here on out, everything you do will just be a reaction, a response to that gift. If that's you this morning, I just want to take just a moment and pray for you in this service. If you say, Pastor Sean, please count me in on that prayer. I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ and start a brand new life. Maybe at one point you were walking with God, but for whatever reason, you found yourself outside the Father's house and you know for whatever reason, you're not on the right path and you need to turn around and come back home today. You can do that in this moment as well. I just need to simply know if we need to take a moment out of this service to take time to pray for you. If that's you, would you just simply lift up your hand and put it right back down right now and just say, Pastor Sean, that's me. All right, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody? Thank you. Thank you. Over here. 
All right, back, thank you. Right there, thank you. Right over there, over there. So many people. We're just simply going to say, God, I'm all yours. Take this dead person, and I want to be a brand new creation. I'm tired of trying to earn it. I just want to walk with you. To do that, the Bible says what we believe, if we believe in our heart, and we'll just simply confess that with our mouth, that's the starting point of salvation right there. And so I'm going to help you do that today. It's not a magical prayer or anything like that. I'm just simply going to give you words to speak that's the starting point. And so would you all pray with me this morning just to encourage those who are praying? Can we all say this together? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me, for taking on my sin, for paying the price, the full price. I believe that you rose from the dead and that you're alive today. And I choose by faith to follow you. And I receive grace right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for those who have who've crossed over from death to life, from darkness to light. Lord, your word says that all of heaven is rejoicing right now over just one that might come. And so, Lord, we choose to rejoice with all of heaven right now. Come on, can we give the Lord a big hand clap? Thank you, God, for your saving power. Amen. 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 Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we want to we wanna meet with you. We also have some, some booklets up here that will help you. It's called What's Next. Be sure to grab one of those on your way out. Everybody, let's stand up together and let's worship God one more time. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. For more information about Journey Church or to browse our media library, visit us online at journeykc.com.